0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 105 of the So This My Wife podcast and also the first episode of 2023. I'm your host and producer, Lingya, and because it's the very first day of 2023, I'm doing a sneak peek episode. Here, I'm going to be showcasing some of the highlights from the fantastic guests that we've got onto this episode to reach your appetite. And let me warn you, it's a great lineup. And extremely varied. First up, we have Zaf Desmet, head of digital natives, startups, and unicorn for Asia at Zoom, and he shares why the French education system is violent.
1: The French education system, or even culture, is still based on Italy. Okay, and that's basically from Napoleon Bonaparte. So earlier. Nineteenth century, we created what we call the grandes Écoles, so prestigious schools. If you want to succeed in France, or you want to do the highest ranking studies, you do actually one of those grandes Écoles like Polytechnique, both engineering or business, but mainly engineering. So if you're not fitting into this, you are a failure. In my view, it's a very violent education system. If you're not fitting into the mold, if you're not good at math or physics, you are a failure. And failure is not good connotation. It's like you should always succeed in your life and it's completely the opposite of the american way you know it's like the americans are saying actually failure is just a synonym of experience that's almost like a trauma on the succeed or failure component from education system
0: we've also got Gerald sebastian one of the biggest youtubers in malaysia with over 4.23 million subscribers so he definitely knows a thing or two about content creation in our conversation He even shares the secret formula that they use to create content.
2: We have like a formula on how we create the content. One of the things that we really like a lot is like using analogy. Because like when you're explaining things like the economic terms, science, it's just like another planetary kind of language. You just have to like using the relevant analogy in our daily life. Can
0: you give some examples for those who haven't watched your video? What are some oh, yeah, of yeah. the analogies you used?
2: I really like this analogy. Can you imagine how far is Earth from the moon? I uh, like it's a million kilos. We cannot imagine. But actually, we have the analogy of like, hey, can you imagine that when we have like this instant noodle, it's just like you're buying a thousand of instant noodles and it was, we just like having the instant noodles stacked into the moon. Or, That's a lot more relatable. Or maybe, okay, if you want to like building a um, highest tower in the world. How much is that? We cannot imagine what, when they say like, hey, it's going to be like a thousand billion US dollar." No, you cannot imagine that. So the thing is, maybe you just like maybe buying a 5,000 Lamborghini and then park it in front of your house. So that's how expensive it is. So that's a good analogy.
0: From the online world, we also enter the physical world with Fabian Rigaud, the co-founder of Secret Cinema. To date, see one of the most mind-blowing experiential cinema experiences in the world. Fabian believes deeply that we as a society need to stop being glued to the screen all the time. We need to go out into the world, experience things with our own eyes, without feeling the need to record and share everything on social media as well. Secret Cinema is a movement that brings cinemas to life, so it's as though you are an actor in the movie itself, and remains to date one of my most favorite experiences and secret cinema has two very unique elements firstly secret cinema is secret at its core everyone who attends is told tell no one and fabian tells us how that came about
3: i think what was interesting was it started off with that concept of taking over abandoned spaces and putting on screenings but what happened was that the tagline was tell no one so it was secret cinema tell no one and The premise was that we wouldn't reveal the location or the film, and we would send an email out and give you a character. You became part of the film, the story. The first film that we did was Gus Van Sant's Paranoid Park, which is set in a community of skaters where one of the skaters has been investigated for a murder. And we found these old tunnels, which are underneath London Bridge, and turned the tunnels into a skate an illegal skate place where the audience became part of that skating community who were all under investigation for murders. So they arrived at this sort of like tunnel. There was a bridge with trains going past with a security guard shining a torch in their faces. And then they were brought into this space. At that time, it was, I don't know, it was like five pounds a ticket. Our budget was tiny, but we got some skate, some ramps and some various professional skaters who came to be the skaters. But, you know, the sound was terrible because it was based in these tunnels and we didn't have the best sound system and everything. So the the sound sort of reverberated in all the tunnels, but it was quite atmospheric. There was this moment where we were sending out the email and I think I miswrote something on the email. Initially, we weren't going to reveal the location. I think I wrote something like, we will not reveal the location or the film. And I think I made a typo mistake. And then I looked at it and I was like, yeah, we're not going to reveal the film either. And at that point it was like, well, how would you sell 400 tickets without revealing anything? And then it was this idea around mystery was like, actually, what you don't know is what you really fear you'll miss out. You really care about things when they're secret, you know? And it's a lovely thing when someone does a surprise for you, they really think about it, like, how would we create a surprise party for this person? Or how would you make a mixtape for someone that you love, where you really think about what they're going to feel? So therefore, I think that was a big part of it. So I made a mistake. We sent the email and it just captured people's imagination.
0: And why are Secret Cinema fans so passionate? Because according to Fabian, they are investing in a secret.
3: The first Secret Cinema for 400 people came, they spent five pounds. Then they spent another five pounds on drinks. And so the profit that we made from that first event went into the second event. And then we grew because there was word of mouth. How do we do it? I think purely just really through the word of mouth, through having this sort of weird confidence that this was going to work from somewhere and just doing it like club nights. If you look at theater shows, often that's how they worked. It wasn't a Ponzi scheme, and that's a horrible word. So from 2007 to 2012, as it was growing, it was just based on the audience. Most people, they're like, let's get investors, let's get some money and let's get it all financed, then we do the show. No, It wasn't like that. We got the money through the audience's belief in the thing. So they were the investors. And then we were doing shows without revealing anything of the product. So they were investing in a secret. What made it special is that each and every one of them created Secret Cinema. Like The team behind Secret Cinema was one thing. They created Secret Cinema. But the second part of it was that the audience became participants in it. In the early stages, they facilitated it. And the weirder we got, the more they loved it. You know, Occasionally, they didn't like everything we did. But most of it, they were sort of down with. And even when we got it wrong, they accepted that we were pushing things in a direction that other people hadn't pushed for some time.
0: Apart from secrecy, there's curiosity. A common thing you find with most steamy guests. They weren't born knowing exactly what they were meant to do with their lives. They were curious. Tried and broke many things, then tried again, and it's the same with Michelle To, writer and reporter at CNN in in, in Hong Kong.
4: You know, I very much saw every single summer break as an opportunity to get a new experience. I was very naturally curious. So it was never a thing where my parents put pressure on me, like, what are you going to be doing? It was just something that I naturally sought out. So even if I wasn't doing an internship, I remember in my high school days, I would research these university pre-college programs in the States that I might be interested in. So I also did like a creative writing program at Pratt Institute, which is an art school Brooklyn. I also did a USC program where I ended up going to school, University of Southern California, where I studied journalism the summer before I graduated high school, which had a huge impact on me. I think I very much was just driven by the idea that there's time to go and do these things. And when you're a young person, especially people often want to give you a chance and love to hear from students who might be super overexcited about whatever it is that they do every day. So I really took it upon myself to cold message some of the Internships that you referenced were literally a product of me just kind of online googling who works at scmp and how do i get a hold of them apart from curiosity
0: you also need humility and the willingness and acceptance that every beginning is small and that's precisely how inara Nizarova, vp of metaverse at hype built her career
5: If you accept that every beginning is going to look small, it's actually not that hard. I guess the older you get into your career, the harder it is to step into the role of an intern because you have to drop your ego and do things that are not that fun to then give yourself a chance to also step into that environment and see it from that perspective and then also be able to grow with the field as time goes on. So I just started first volunteering. I was my very first festival job was doing recycling at Bonnaroo. It was not glamorous whatsoever, but it got me closer to the team. It was a really beautiful bonding experience because Bonnaroo was so focused on making sure it was a sustainable event and that people were very focused on honoring the environment, having the freedom and a beautiful space to enjoy. So that was a really beautiful mission to be part of. And from that point on, I got to know the team. I was pretty good at taking pictures and then I was able to kind of lend my artistic services and see where they could use me.
0: Whereas with Dr. Giovanna, head of Metaverse Fashion Week at Decentraland, similar to Marja Continent, the marketing director of Decentraland back in episode 95, Dr. Giovanna considers her career to be a portfolio of experiences.
6: The thing is that <laughs> life is a short experience, right? And even if there are other lives, I will not remember this life as much. So I want to make sure that I have a portfolio of experiences that really enrich my soul, my mind. And I have left at least this multidisciplinary legacy about what I tried. You know, I'm a person that regret what you tried, not what you gave up on. Right. Don't give up. Try. And if you fail, that's fine. At least you tried. So I think all those different works. I did a lot of work on the residencies regarding augmented reality technology, for the heritage, which was a topic very much connected with my PhD thesis. So that was already like AR, mixed reality, XR solutions. They were my core research interests since 2010. So I was already in that market doing projects with sort of technology. So I think those projects, they allowed me to get out a little bit of the discourse of tech and incorporate a little bit more of culture, heritage, what is digital memory for different cultures, how you can really work on that topic using technology. And also, I think it really taught me how I can be more flexible with my own creations and incorporate other techniques that I learned with my colleagues. And eventually I learn a lot about, I don't know, maybe event prediction, which is something I do a lot today. I learn a lot about performances, like performing arts, about big festivals of art and museum administration. So I think all of those things I incorporated and they helped me for what I do today.
0: And as for Ian Lee, well, it's a more somber outlet life. Ian is the co-founder of Seneca, and he was diagnosed with cancer early on in his career. That meant that he was living for the longest time in three-month increments. He just didn't know if he would survive beyond each of these three-month periods. And he shared all his fears, knowing that he never wanted to reach the end of his life, whenever that might be, feeling regret. And he also learned something important. 10-year life plans, they're not important plan them at most in 12 to 18-month increments.
7: What companies should do around an emergent corporate strategy is also what people should do with their life, which is rather than having a 10-year plan, just do what you think is most interesting and compelling and you're most energized by over the next like 12 to 18 months, and then just go from there and kind of let go of whatever exists outside of that frontier because if you do that if you throw your full self into those things right because you're genuinely passionate about that what's going to happen you are going to learn faster you're going to work harder because and work more than other people not because it's work to you but because you just find it interesting you just can't stop thinking about it And because you're going to be more interested in it, because you're going to grow and learn faster, and because you're going to work harder, you're actually going to perform better than other people who are not interested in it. And because you're going to perform better, you're actually going to be exposed to new opportunities and more opportunities than other people and even yourself that you didn't even realize. Meaning it's going to open up new doors and new rabbit holes um, that you never knew existed if you hadn't done that in the first place,
0: and then we have Alvin Jung, former secret society member and former heroin addict. You have your inspiring startup founders, the corporate leaders, the web three and creative pioneers, but sometimes people make mistakes, very big mistakes, and it haunts them for the rest of their lives. So how do you pick yourself up? Alvin had everything stacked against him from birth. His father was a heroin addict. He turned to her right in his preteens and fell in the wrong crowd when he was a child. What was his life like? How did he get out of it? What's he trying to do now? Alvin shares all of that in his episode and in this particular snippet, he tells us why it was possible for him to leave the secret society in the first place.
8: If you leave the gang and you join another gang, then my money was lost. Right? You are helping someone to make the money because of your contact. Then I have lost quite a big, of, uh, a big amount of revenue, which is you are the one who bring in every year. That's why they will not let you go. They will rather you vanish. So these are all the only people that it's hard to leave the gang. For others, people, when you don't actually contribute much, they don't care, you know, to be really honest. Why they care? If I go and uh, beat you up, uh, if you report police, I might even end up in prison. So why do I bother? You never bring in money for me. You are not anything to me. So you and go, just go. When I decided to, to leave him and then I be on my own, that was the time I was on drugs for 20 years. I was on drugs. I was selling drugs, everything. So they don't bother about, me. because when they get close to me, it's very dangerous for them. Because, Why? you know, sing, Singapore drug addicts, it's very obvious. Uh, people look at you they will come and spot check you. So who will want to be near to you? Our body size, because of our appearance, you know, junkies don't eat. Okay, or very slim. It looks like a zombie. Maybe this is the reason why they also don't care about me.
0: And there you have it—a sneak peek into some of the upcoming steamy episodes of 2023. I hope you're excited. Apart from some of these snippets, we've also got one of New York's most influential women and Christie's top auctioneers who has raised over half a billion dollars for nonprofits globally. Then we also have the CEO of the top confectionery maker in the region, also a co-founder of one of Asia's largest startups, the CEO of one of the region's biggest property developers, prominent politicians, Olympians, and so much more. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to Steamy and leave a review. It's really hard to get the word out there about podcasts, so I really need your help to do that. I'm also kickstarting Steamy's weekly newsletter. This provides you with a deep dive into the behind the scenes of me running Steamy and also all the frameworks and hacks that you can use to build a life that you want on your own terms. The links are all in the show notes. Check them out and we'll be back next Sunday. See you then.